Yes, I can hear you fine. How about yourself? Wow, this is surreal. So I started <laughs> watching your videos when I was a white belt about five years ago, maybe six years ago. <laughs> so this is... Hopefully I didn't lead you too, uh, too far astray. Oh, that's incredible. Um, before we start, massive thank you for your time. I really appreciate you doing this. And is there anything you want me to no mention or highlight when we go into it? Uh, not really. Um, no, it's really just about bringing as much uh, uh, value and, and information as possible. And uh, yeah, I've, um, I think we got our oh, <laughs> we've got a co-pilot here. We do. <laughs> It'd be funny to have that. Uh, have him. Uh, yeah. Perfect. But, uh, so if you're ready, I'm ready. Right. All right. Cool. We quote a, a movie that was probably done before you were born. Uh, I was born ready. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Big trouble in Little China. Okay. So here we are with the man behind Grapple Arts himself, Stephen Kesting. How you doing, my friend? Oh, very well. Thank you. How are you surviving? Yourself? On... Not too bad, thank you. How are you surviving quarantine? I mean, everyone's sort of jumped on the online training bandwagon and you almost... <laughs> created it yourself quite a while ago now how are you finding things uh well i mean it's it's difficult obviously um i think it's made a little bit easier from a surviving the lack of jujitsu perspective in the sense that i've been training for almost 40 years and if you've been training that long you're gonna have had layoffs right you're gonna have had injuries you're gonna have had life-changing events you're gonna have had surgeries you're gonna have had children uh, you're gonna have had you know, whatever, work crises, finishing degrees. And so it's not your first layoff and you have a certain inherent faith in that just because you can't train right now, you will be able to get back to it, right? At the first time that you, if you train and train and train and train and then you have a layoff, I, I don't know, um, your boss needs you to put in 80 hour weeks for four weeks. It's, uh, um, it seems like, like the world is ending because it's it's so different, right? You've not uh, you've not ever had that kind of layoff. But if you've been doing it for a while, the um, it, it's not that unusual. I mean, it's not great, it's not good, but it is. It, you kind of roll with the punches, if that makes any sense. Well, definitely. In regards of your sort of training at the minute, it, I know you've sort of studied a variety of different martial arts. Are you training anything particular? Are you just having time off in general, or are you working behind the scenes and stuff? What's your current structure at the minute in terms of the actual training that i'm doing yeah sort of day-to-day -day sort of stuff because obviously with gyms being closed and everything really sort of... ultimately right now it's it's probably 90 percent fitness it's probably 90 percent just not trying to become a fat bastard and so uh, and also at a you know i'm 50 years old so at that point something like weight training i mean when you're young Weight training is to get big and buff and super jacked and also to crush people. And that's still obviously very helpful, right? It, I, given the choice between fat and buff, I would choose buff. Given the choice between being stronger and being weaker, I would choose stronger. Given the choice of being helpless on the bottom and having some strength to be able to put behind uh, a technique and crush people, I would choose a second. But really the main function of weight training once you're sort of past 35, is to hold your body together, especially if you've been training a long time, got a, a lot of mileage on the body. So it's right now, for me personally, it's mostly uh, doing cardiovascular conditioning and doing some kind of strength training. And then 
uh, sort of the, the martial art aspect of the training, uh, watching tape, watching video, right? Watching other people's instructionals, watching uh, matches, and, and that's really the best I can do. I mean, it's, uh, again, half your audience won't be able to relate to this, but the other half might, that uh, I've got three kids. None of those kids are in school right now. So that, that in addition to running grapple arts, in addition to being a firefighter, I'm also uh, homeschooling three kids. Right? It makes for some, I, I thought I was busy before. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, I don't really know how you managed to find time for this as well. I'm so grateful you managed to. But on the topic of strength conditioning in jiu-jitsu and martial arts in general, what you touched on there was quite interesting, how the transition from performance to maintenance. And I had on Dan Strauss the other day, who's a big proprietor of strength conditioning, especially in jiu-jitsu. And I was curious on your sort of, I don't know, sort of routines and sort of intensities. Like, are you doing something every day? Are you doing functional stuff? Are you doing a standard sort of, I don't know, powerlifting kind of movements? What kind of things are you doing? Yeah. Uh, I, I really like Daniel Strauss. I had him on my podcast as well. Um, he's, uh, I mean, the, the lifting that he's doing, it's very much strong man, right? He, he's, he's got two passions. One is jiu-jitsu and grappling, and the other is strong man. So his, yeah, his, what do you want to say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so his, his goals are like a specifically to you know carry the dinny stones or to, to lift this giant um, rock with a ring in it somewhere in Scotland. And, and that's all super cool. So he's got to train specifically for that. Uh, when it comes to the lifting component for myself, I mean, the, my basic heuristic is that you have sort of a basic functional weight training program. You need to push something away from your body. You need to pull something towards your body. And you need to do something heavy with your legs, right? So that might mean push-ups. It might mean bench press. It might mean military press. It might mean holding handstands. I don't really care. It might be dumbbell presses, uh, TRX press. It doesn't really matter. You're pushing something away from it. That's a fundamental human motion, right? If, if I'm trapped on the bottom of a mount and I get my hands on your hips, right, on either side of your hips, and I bridge, and then I push, uh, that, that's a fundamental movement, right? We've we got to be careful where we push in jiu-jitsu, but we, we push all the time, right? If I'm trying to um, escape from the bottom of a position, and I'm getting up on my elbow and I'm trying to make some space so that I can then hip escape, I'm doing more of the, uh, the frame and hip escape style escape. Sometimes you got to push, right? It, it's, it's uh, and being a bit stronger is better there. Pulling, obviously, we do a lot of pulling in jiu-jitsu, especially with the gi. So again, I don't care if you're doing uh, dumbbell rows, cable rows, pull-ups, inverted pull-ups, uh, I, I suppose um, high pulls, any kind of thing where you're or, you know, static holding, where you put a, a loop or a belt through a pull-up bar and you just mm -hmm. hold yourself there. So I don't get too uh, twitterpated about the... Um, the minutia of the sports specific stuff. I mean, there, there was a time when I was training a lot of leg locks that I was like, man, you know what I should really train? I should train the anterior tibialis. That's the little muscle that runs down beside the shin because that way I can stop somebody from extending my foot in the base ankle lock. And I actually developed a way to train the uh, anterior tibialis. It's cool. It, it certainly didn't Sorry. hurt my, 
Yeah, very, very, very niche, right? Uh, nothing wrong with that, but like, let's take the low-hanging fruit first. The low-hanging fruit are the large movements, uh, the compound joint movements, probably not on a machine. So if you build a program around bench press, weighted pull-ups, uh, squat and deadlift, and then did auxiliary stuff, you'd probably be all right. Uh, in terms of how heavy I go, I don't go as heavy now as I used to. Um, we had a couple injuries on the go, as does almost everyone else. Um, so I, I'm working, uh, you know, to to pain essentially, and then I'm also doing uh, rehab exercises. So for me, because I'm getting over, say, a shoulder injury, uh, I'm doing a fair amount of shoulder, you know, rotator cuff rehab stuff. And um, yeah, I, I also, like I said earlier, I don't have as much time to do this as I want. So in a perfect world, here's the thing. You might have the perfect conditioning program for jiu-jitsu. Let's just say, let's pick something. Uh, let's say it's either alternating swimming as fast as you can across a pool, followed by 35 uh, clean and jerks, right? Some kind of super twisted, sick and twisted CrossFit workout, right? We've, we've, we've studied this scientifically. We've decided that 100% the best workout for jiu-jitsu is to swim underwater and then do uh, clean and jerks to failure. But what if you hate swimming and what if you've got a bad shoulder, right? Like the best exercise is not something that you necessarily, that's the best, it's something you're gonna keep on doing in perpetuity, right? Say you actually prefer bicycling and body weight exercises. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, yeah, you can make an argument that being under heavy iron is, is better, it gives you a better hormonal response and uh, increases bone density more, but honestly, something is better than nothing, and something you're gonna stick with in the long term is better than nothing. Now, you're getting ready for a tournament, you know, you're one month out, okay, now maybe you drag yourself to the pool and do this hypothetical underwater slash Olympic lifting hybrid workout, and you hate it, but you're like, it's okay, this is just for a short period of time. And then after that, you go back to the thing that you actually are gonna enjoy and do, and you know, who, Jiu-Jitsu is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And thus your conditioning regimen has to be something you can maintain, not something that you just do uh, despite hating it. Imagine that gym where it's got that pool and like a track where like the weights are. The amount of injuries would be incredible. <laughs> I'd love to see like the camera on that, watching people trying to... I got, I got uh, spoken to, I was, um, I was watching some of Laird Hamilton's videos. Have you heard of him? He's mm -hmm. the big wave surfer. Yeah, so he's got this really interesting underwater conditioning protocol. So I showed up at the local pool. It's got a dive tank with a couple of rubberized dumbbells. And I wanted to try the underwater jumping. Uh, you know, where you hold the dumbbells, you go, I don't know, 20 feet underwater, and you jump up to the surface, and you get a breath, and you go back down. And they very, 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 very quickly <laughs> informed me, this was, this was about a year ago, that no, you're not doing that at our pool. I'm like, why? Well, because of this, because of that, because of 10 new things that we just thought of. Uh, but you're not, you're definitely not doing that. We don't, we don't care. We don't recognize this as a legitimate activity. So, yeah, I, I never got to check out the, uh, the Laird Hamilton program firsthand. I think what you touched on earlier was really interesting in regards of you can't do everything and you're not going to stick with everything and time and everything else because it's ideal. I don't know, you've got your gi pants in one hand, you've got your belt in the other, and you've got all this different equipment to try and get every little niche muscle group. And again, it's, 
that's where it gets so tricky building the structure saying okay i need to work on my grips i need to work on my hip explosion i need to work on my cardio my endurance do i do heavy reps do i do like low intensity but high reps do i do isometric how do i sort of structure these things and it's so and also how much time are you spending doing the actual thing itself because you get a lot of people with yes. the contradicting arguments of oh i don't do any strength conditioning my training is my conditioning and all this kind of stuff and I, I think that's a valid argument at a lower level. At a higher level, almost every high-level jiu-jitsu athlete is doing, like, if we take a look at people competing at the Worlds, they're, uh, they're all almost doing additional strength and conditioning. Um, Marcelo Garcia, one of my very favorite grapplers of all time, is actually a stunning exception to this, right? I mean, uh, what he used to do, it, it was a fairly difficult physical warm-up at the beginning of class. If you're doing push-ups and jumps and, you know, agility exercises and leapfrog over, you know, go on. So that was kind of like a, a conditioning workout. But in terms of time under iron, there was almost none. And it's it's almost, it's not the exception that proves the rule, but it's, it's noticeable how exceptional that was, that almost all the other guys were spending time under iron. At the same time, it needs to be said that if you're doing jiu-jitsu for, I don't know, four or five hours a day and then doing some judo and then running and then lifting and you're in a sport where they don't test for steroids, really, uh, or, or functionally their, their, their testing is highly selective and um, not at all evenly applied, I, I mean, you're going to be putting so much of a load on your body because the other thing you need to juggle here is recovery, right? It's not just more, 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 more. It's how do you recover from all this training so that you're not sick and injured all the time? Um, uh, the, uh, I go back to when I was getting ready to compete in the Abu Dhabi trials, I want to say in 2006. So I just had my second kid, and the, uh, the only time left to train, really, was before uh, my, my work would start at seven o'clock in the morning. And the only time left to train was before that. So I found three or four other recently high level guys who were free at 5.30 in the morning. But it's not like I was going to bed at eight in the evening. I was staying up late and doing all the normal parenting stuff and family stuff and work stuff. And, and so I was basically trying to just do more training on much less sleep. And guess what, within, uh, you know, like two weeks of that program, I got one of the uh, the worst neck injuries I ever had. And it's just because the recovery component wasn't there. So it is difficult. Um, I mean, the I think a lot of it is figuring out where your points of weakness are, right? Like, is your grip objectively a lot weaker than other people, sort of your peers? Or are you forever gassing out when you're on the bottom? Or, or just when you're going hard, or uh, are other people able to just power out of your moves? You know, that, that'll direct your training a little bit, because everybody's got sort of the point of failure or the, the rate-limiting step. Some people don't get tired, right? Some people just really don't ever get tired, in which case they probably shouldn't be working a whole lot of endurance. I, I think for most people, endurance is the most important thing to work. But, you know, there are, there are the freaks out there who, for that, whom that's not, not a problem, in which case they shouldn't work it. Again, there's so much to sort of go into with this. Like, 
first off the bat, it is really tricky to try and work out where your holes actually are because if you base your grip on all the judo guys you roll with who are all judo black belts and you're thinking, <laughs> okay, am I the odd one out here? Are they all just, you know, <laughs> this, this kind of freak sort of grip? There's also a survivor bias going, right? Like the, if you start with 10 judo guys and half of them have got inherently weak finger structures and inherently weak ligaments in their fingers and uh, low bone density and just weak hands and the other five have, are you know were descended from a long line of stonemasons they've got these meat hooks for hands would you care to place a guess as to which populations can be more represented in the elite black belt level right it's a survivor bias it's the people who had crazy hand strength to start with especially in modern judo which is really all about grip fighting uh so yeah it, it is a little bit dangerous to go and compare yourself to you know well i rolled with this olympic level judo guy once and he had a grip from hell well he was probably born with that grip from hell and then made it 10 times as hellish through years of training it, it's true it's true i mean you um maybe comparing yourself to the the elite level guys is is not it's not fair. Like, oh, there's one guy who can put both his legs behind his own head, you know, without using his hands. Therefore, I need to to become that flexible. Well, I mean, you're you're probably going to blow out some cervical vertebrae at some point trying to do that, or dislocate both your own <laughs> hips, and that'll be embarrassing. No, honestly, honestly, I was stretching. <laughs> I was stretching for jujitsu. This isn't what it looks that's like. That's what you call it. <laughs> yeah. Johnny, what can your bear and bowler was? Is that what you call it, you, you kids these days? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, um, I, I, I pretty much inured to uh, any um, uh, uh, I mean, I, I started doing this sport when people were looking at it just aghast, right? Like, they're, they're, first of all, there was a blood sport crowd, and then secondly, like, you guys are a bunch of flaming homos crowd. And uh, it, <laughs> I'm so inured to that uh, criticism. It, it it's it's almost a point of pride now at this point. Pride in every sense of the word. Um, on that yeah, note. yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> on that note, um, but yeah, there is an interesting concept when it comes to the contradiction of jujitsu is for the weaker person, for the smaller person, and then everyone's doing strength conditioning training to get stronger, and in the same breath of our oh, techniques king, but also doing strength training is also king and everything else. And on top of that, regards to warm ups before training. You get a variety of things. You get the kind of people who do flow rolling to then get started into the training. You get people who don't warm up at all to do techniques to warm up and then spar. Then you get the sort of Marcelo Garcia-esque kind of, you know, combination gymnastics, obscure kind of fitness warm-up sort of things. Where do you stand on warm-ups for jiu-jitsu class? What do you think is an ideal kind of warm-up? Uh, I don't think I'm going to give you the answer that you want. I don't think there is an answer. I understand why coaches... I mean, the classic, like, okay, jumping jacks, and now 85 push-ups, and now running and sprinting, and now, you know, basically tire everyone out for class. I think that's very common for uh, coaches who want to have a competitive team, and they just don't trust their students to do conditioning on their own. Also, some coaches just use it as a, uh, as a time filler, right? It's less time they have to spend teaching. It's easy to do a warm-up. And... Um, but let's take the less cynical approach there, that it's somebody who really wants their students to be in great shape because it, it really does translate to victories at tournaments. That I understand. I mean, 
because uh, a lot of people are inherently lazy and just will never do that. For myself, uh, I really prefer technique repetition, right? I prefer gently and, you know, if you're cold, if you're not warmed up, you know, I'm working on, let's say, butterfly guard sweeps. And I'm just going to do some gentle stretching, do some gentle jumping jacks just to get some kind of movement going. And then I prefer like sort of half speed technique repetition. And if we can put in some kind of flow, so much the better. If I can butterfly sweep you, uh, you post, I go under, X guard sweep, you come up. And then instead of passing your guard, you set up your butterfly guard sweep and you do the same to me. That way we're going through the movements we're going to be using anyway. And getting in, we're actually getting technical development as we're warming up. So that's kind of more on the flow rolling side. But that if you want to be competitive, you're going to have to sort of make a commitment that you're either going to go hard during sparring and get your conditioning that way, or go hard during sparring and do additional strength and conditioning on the side. So I, a lot of people don't have time to do both. So in that case, I see there being an advantage to having sort of a hard physical warm-up before a class. Um, it, it's not my preferred method at this point. I prefer more of the technical development and then saving the, uh, the hard uh, thing for sparring and also for conditioning separately. But that, that's just my preference at the moment. Well, this is the kind of thing I really wanted to get into regards of what you aim to achieve out of those certain things. It's interesting the way you phrase it as for specific goals, certain ways work for other elements of it. And I think that goes back to the strength and conditioning point of, you know, it's not one size fits all. It's not, there's so many options, but there's no definitive right or wrong way of doing it. Sense of, I don't know, the competition class, you start with a random cardio blast sort of in, insanity kind of workout or you for the technical yeah. class a little flow roll or drills and that kind of thing regards of the way you learn are you quite methodical are you like a to b to c are you sort of you feel it out how do you like to learn initially i'm a very kinesthetic learner hmm. so that's one reason i'm not the world's greatest coach in competition if i if i'm working with somebody it's it's very easy for me to if it's a technique that I understand, to have them do it on me or do it on them and just go, okay, no, 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 you need to off-balance me here first or your, your leg is in the wrong place here. Because if I can feel it, then I can give feedback. Whereas when I'm watching somebody roll, it's almost like I have, to, I mean, unless they're making gross errors, if I'm trying to feel the subtlety, notice how I said that, if I'm trying to feel the subtleties while watching somebody, right, it's, it's a, uh, it's an interesting way of phrasing it. So really what's happening is I'm looking at it, I'm trying to imagine what it's like to feel it, and then so I'm trying to go from visual to kinesthetic to you know, then come up with verbal feedback of, um, of telling the people what to do. Um, so from, for, I'm a very kinesthetic person. I also really do like to understand. I really like to have a, a verbal breakdown. And it, it's... Ideally, it's it's a it's a process. Like if you tell me the sky is blue, Stefan, the sky is blue. I'm saying, are you saying it's blue in the same way the sea is blue, or that this uh, I don't know this pen is blue? And you're going, yes, it's blue. It's that whole conversational back and forth. That's my ideal form of learning. But that's not everybody's ideal form of learning. Some people learn just by watching competition tape, right, and just watching and watching and watching and watching. 
Whereas I would far rather have that competitor break it down for me and then watch a little bit of tape. That's my preferred way. But that might not be your preferred way. So I, I think getting better at something as complicated as jiu-jitsu, or, or for that matter, anything, if you're trying to... Let's, let's forget jiu-jitsu. Let's go, say you want to become an electrical engineer. Uh, some people are going to learn their electrical engineering stuff by watching Khan Academy videos. Some people are going to read it. Some people are going to um, just sit there with a pen and paper. And some people learn better at 3 in the morning. Some people learn better at 3 in the afternoon. Some people study better high. Some people study better on you know, caffeine. Uh, some people study better in a 10-hour block. Some people study better in little blocks. So part of getting your degree in electrical engineering is figuring out how you learn best. Right? Like if, if you're trying to learn the same way the other guy learns, which is one massive you know, 36-hour cram session before an exam, but that doesn't work for you, you're going to fail. You're not going to get your degree. You've got to figure out what works for you. And the same is true for, um, for something as complicated as jiu-jitsu. The onus really is on you to sort of take responsibility for your own learning and figure out what your ideal learning method is. A good example there is you might have coaches. And their coach might have a ton of knowledge, but at some point you've got to figure out how to get the knowledge out of that coach in a way that works for you. Uh, sometimes it might just be a perfect match. He says, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you just do those things and it works great. In which case, fantastic. His teaching style matches your learning style, no problem. In other cases, you might have to go to your coach and say, can you do this technique on me so I can feel it? I used to do that all the time. And then I would feel, I'd feel, say, the, I don't know, the, the, the pressure that he's putting on my thigh when he's doing a knee bar. I'm going, oh, okay, feels like my thigh's about to explode, and then my knee's about to explode. I need to squeeze the thigh more. Or alternately, you go to your coach and say, can I do this on you, and can you give me feedback? Or you can go to your coach and you say, I'm going to spar this white belt. I'm going to try and do that technique that you showed yesterday, I don't know, the omoplata, the guard pass into omoplata combination. Can you watch me and tell me what I'm doing wrong? Or what is the most simplest way to do an attack, to do this attack? Or what are the most, you know, if, it's an art to getting the information you need out of your teacher. It's an art to sort of, I want to say trick them, trick, guide them, to guide them into giving you the, uh, the information that you need. And as you obviously as a white belt, you just do whatever you can. As a blue belt, you just do whatever you can. By the time you're doing it five or six years, it's a little bit on you as to curating or not, not encouraging the information that you want. And that, that includes going outside what your teacher's given you too, right? Some teachers still rant and rave about, oh, they go to the YouTube and they learn this and then they do everything wrong. Yeah, I'm sure that happens. But uh, look at how many people have won tournaments with a technique they saw on YouTube the previous day. It, it really does happen. And again, it is. Um, there's, there's so much to sort of dissect from that. And again, regards of getting information from the coach, there's so much of you don't know what you don't know. So normally when you find at seminars, people will say, if you've got any questions, everyone's not going to say anything because they don't know what they don't know. They don't understand the intricacies of what ifs and that because they haven't you know, conceived it that far ahead. So again, it is so tricky to really understand what you're missing, and I don't know. It's I, I agree that so a white belt won't know what they don't know, right? A white belt won't know 
that they need to know the details of how to bridge properly or how to move their hips properly or you know like so when do you bridge first or move your hips first or do you bridge and then move your hips or do you move your hips and then bridge they don't have the sophistication they don't know enough about the sport to even know that that's a question so i agree like at a, at a beginner level you can't really do that much self-guided learning <clears throat> but as you go on it, it becomes your responsibility also i think people going to seminars without questions in advance it is silly like i you're paying a fair amount of money you're taking time out of your day and if you're going to i don't know a Braulio-Stima seminar or or whatever doesn't matter and you don't have a couple of canned questions in advance you're wasting the opportunity right like You've, you've got a world champion in front of you or a guy who's, forget a world champion, a guy's teaching a seminar on the half guard and this guy's a local competitor, he's pretty good, he's not famous yet, but he's got a really good half guard system. You bloody better go and have some half guard questions in advance. Is your half guard perfect? Probably not, <laughs> right? <laughs> have you had your half guard smashed? Probably yes. Have you been submitted in the half guard? Entirely possible. Uh, are you having difficulty getting to half guard? Probably there are times when you can't get to half guard. Are you having difficulties bailing out a half guard? Yeah, that's probably a problem too. Have some questions in advance when you go to a seminar, especially if you know what the topic's about. And if the guy's a, a competitor and you've seen him compete or her compete, then you know, like, hey, uh, I've, I've noticed that you never ever spend time in closed guard. As soon as you get to closed guard, you start working for spider guard. Why is that? Like have, you know, have the questions arranged before. And uh, it also gives you a bit more time to prepare a more intelligent question so that you're not asking a really dumb question. But there, there, are, there is such a thing as stupid questions. But really, if you're, ask, if you're, if you're wondering, probably somebody else is wondering, is wondering too. Sorry, <laughs> I just got me thinking about stupid questions at the same time. I was thinking, oh... So, how do I wash my gear? <laughs> that sort of off-brand kind of questions. <laughs> Something completely not like, not about half guard or anything. So, <laughs> regards of... Okay, I'm just trying to compose a little bit. When it comes to your like training and longevity in the sport, how have you found mm -hmm. keeping that? Because obviously, it goes from being something new, quite fun, to then... Yeah. Like 40 something years later and then you just you know it's life it's just everything how do you keep that longevity especially when it comes to these layoffs yeah uh well it's still fun that's fundamentally why i do it uh i mean yes it's a great sport yes it's a great challenge yes it's a great way to connect with friends yes it's useful for self-defense or very useful for self-defense but fundamentally it's fun right rolling around when you when you're what do three-year-old boys do? They roll around on the ground together, uh, you know, beating each other up. What do grown adults do when they've had a few too many beer at a barbecue? They end up, you know, roughhousing, right? It's like sanctioned uh, roughhousing and fun. Uh, in terms of longevity, I think the longevity starts early. It starts with things like tapping the hell out when you're caught in a neck crank. It starts with, you know... Um, it's really around avoiding injuries, ultimately. It's around avoiding injuries and staying in shape uh, in general and leading a reasonably healthy lifestyle. 
right? A healthy lifestyle basically defined as decent amounts of sleep, good food, um, not abusing your body with drugs and alcohol too badly. Uh, and then when it comes to actual training is not injured. You're going to get injured. Let's keep those injuries small and infrequent. A lot of injuries, not all, but a lot of injuries are caused just by ego. I mean, I can remember the exact position I was caught in and the exact guy in the exact location in the room. He had um, some uh, weird uh, crucifix, like a stocks position on me and rolled me over from turtle. And I was like, I'm not going to tap to this. You've got to be kidding. And, and like trying to inch my way out and pop, 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 pop. And honestly, neck's never been the same. Or uh, not this January, but last January, I was rolling with a guy who's a, probably a blue belt, older than me, smaller than me, weaker than me, less experienced than me. And I'm just goofing around. And he catches me in some kind of crazy omoplata type thing. My arm's kind of caught behind my back. It's one of those positions that, you know, even after training for decades, like I've never been here before. I've never, ever, ever seen a position like this. I was like, no, I'm not tapping. There's no way. So like big breath and breathe out and try and wriggle and I get out by a centimeter. Big breath and out by a centimeter. Big breath and out by a centimeter. And yeah, I got out. Yay. I got out. And my shoulder hurt for nine months after that because I, I buggered my rotator cuff. And, uh, you know, I, I also... Uh, Three or four months after that is when I was doing my uh, my big thousand mile solo canoe trip in the Arctic, and doing that with a buggered shoulder uh, was definitely suboptimal. It prevented me from training for it as well as I would like. It prevented me from training jujitsu as much as I would like. And really, what was it? It was ego. I didn't want to tap to somebody because of my own foolishness. Forget it. I, I'm, I'm hedging it. I didn't want to tap to somebody who was smaller than me lighter than me and less experienced than me. And I got out. I didn't tap. I should have totally tapped. It was, so I, I, I'm not immune from ego and uh, I, I paid the price. So avoiding stupid shit like that, you know, if you're going with leg locks and somebody catches you in a heel hook, uh, I mean, first of all, just, just tap, just tap. If you're going and your shoulder's in a compromised position, just tap. It doesn't matter. Tapping means two things. Tapping means, yeah, you caught me a legit submission. It also means I don't know what I, what's happening here, and I could get injured. Let's you know live to fight another day. If you're in the finals uh, of the worlds, if you're in the you know the, finally made it to the UFC, there's five seconds left to go, and you're winning on points, but the guy catches. Okay, I, I understand. I understand. In that case, it might be worth suffering through the pain but not in a training session for god's sake not not you know with your training partner jim who you know you've tapped him he's tapped you and you're like i don't want to tap three times in a day it's okay for me to tap twice that's just stupid it's going to put your training way back and i promise you uh that every single time you didn't tap when you're in your 20s and 30s it's going to come back and visit you in your forties and fifties, I promise you, this is this is a this is a guarantee. So you've glossed over something there, which I don't know why we didn't mention this sooner. <laughs> so it's a thousand mile canoe trip around the Arctic. 
uh, yeah, I've I've done um, a few of those, mostly when I was younger, or or different long trips. Uh, so last summer, uh, my fiftieth birthday, and also to celebrate, sort of having uh, survived a whole kidney failure and kidney transplant procedure, which I went through about five years previous to that. Um, I'd been eyeing this trip, uh, heading down to Hudson Bay uh, in the Arctic. Uh, I'd been eyeing that for 20 years. But, you know, it, it's tough to, you know, when you're in the middle of rearing children and, you know, uh, going through various things and, and busy to, to be able to take off, uh, to block off, say, 50 days or 60 days and many thousands of dollars for a project like that. So to actually... Uh, a few years ago, I started thinking, like, what would I need to do with grapple arts? What would I need to do with my family? What would I, what are the various procedures I would need to put in place to allow me to do something like that? It's really no different from somebody saying, I want to go and train in Brazil. Although I wouldn't recommend going to train in Brazil right at this very moment during coronavirus, uh, especially with the disaster that's happening in Brazil. But Let's pretend that's not happening. I want to go train in Brazil for six. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll turn the clock back a bit. Not not now. Brazil like yeah. maybe. Okay. Okay. Or or forward. Two years from now. Either way. What do I need to do to go and train in Brazil for six months, and then work backwards from there? Well, I would need this amount of money set aside. Well, I would need I don't know. Um, I need my girlfriend. I need to change. I need to find a new girlfriend. I need to break up with my girlfriend. I need to have enough child support payments to pay my baby mama. Uh, I need to have a certain amount of money in the bank. I need to expunge that criminal record, whatever it takes, right? and work backwards. And then uh, from, from the uh, successful uh, vision to figuring out what I would need to do in real life. Well, uh, in order to make that money, I would need to spend less money on stupid shit. I need to work uh, an extra job. I need to you know, to have an extra thirty thousand dollars in the bank. I need to put aside a thousand bucks a month for thirty months. How do I make that extra thousand dollars? You know, and, and work back from the goal. It's, it's um, yeah. So I, I, it took a long time to set up that uh, that trip in the Arctic, but it. Um, I'm super glad I did. How did the Liverpool expectation regards of like difficulty versus training for that kind of thing as well? Was it just like a more of experience of seeing it all opposed to endurance challenge as such? Well, I, I initially gave myself about a 60% chance of success. Um, you know, there's just so many factors beyond your control, right? I mean, if, uh, if, the body gives out, the body gives out, right? Like you can have, and when you're that remote and when you're that away from help, it's really not the time to push yourself right to the very, very limit because then if something happens, you don't have, you can't, if you're already up to, to 11, you can't turn it up to 12. So the advice that a friend of mine gave me years ago is when you're on a solo trip in particular with, where there's no backup, you stay a level below what you know you're capable of doing so that you have those reserves built in. So that might mean things like 
yeah, I think I could make it across this lake with this wind. Uh, or, I, or I think I could run this rapid, but I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to portage, I'm going to unpack everything and then crash through the bush. Even though if I was, you know, uh, with my mates, if I was in a, in a whitewater boat, if I was in the, you know, reasonably close to a hospital and had people with uh, you know, throw ropes and other boats to come rescue me if I if I flip um, I would totally try this rapid but I'm just not going to try it out here uh, when the you know the weather is just above freezing uh, and if I lose everything it's going to be a 200 mile walk across the tundra to Churchill <laughs> uh, you know going by map and compass and, uh, you know, uh, trying to dodge, you know, polar bears along the way. Like, that's, that's just not a good outcome. Um, in terms of expectation, I wouldn't say I, there were definitely some enjoyable moments. I would say the enjoyment is the wrong metric, is the wrong emotion. I would say satisfaction. And I think in life, you know, people are, I, I, you're looking for happiness. There's nothing wrong with looking for happiness, but you should at the same time also be looking for satisfaction. Or maybe it's a, uh, the differentiation between type one, type two, and type three fun. Have you ever heard of this? No, what is it? it it's, a mountain, it's a mountaineering term. So type one fun is when you're doing something and it's a lot of fun in the moment, right? You and I were flow rolling and you're catching me and I'm catching you and we're like, you know, and, uh, and we're having fun right in the moment. Type two fun is when it's a really serious role. I'm gonna get you, and I'm not gonna let you get me. And we're just, we're not having fun in the moment, but as soon as it's done, we're like, man, that was a good role. That was fun. It's only fun after it stops. Mm. And type three fun is when it takes a few years to, uh, to go, man, that was fun. <laughs> like, man, I lost two toes on, uh, on Everest, but uh, we didn't make it to the top. And, and uh, that was a lot of suffering, but in retrospect, that was fun. So <clears throat> I'd say that trip to the Arctic was mostly, there were some moments of type one fun. It was mostly type two fun. And then there were definitely parts of it that I'm beginning to enjoy now that uh, weren't so enjoyable uh, right in the moment. Well, that's where it gets quite tricky when it comes to these long-term goals, that sort of expectation and the build of the anticipation, because that kind of sacrificing that, planning that build up and i don't know the the sort of weight you gave that kind of goal as well because again you were saying something you wanted to do at length of time ago 20 odd years ago you're thinking this is something i want to do is something in the back of your mind that you finally want to scratch that itch and then living up to that expectation is then what you're expecting to then come from that are you expecting some kind of like uh kind of like release some kind of like tick list is it like i don't know what next what yeah i think it's a i think a life list is is a big part of it. Um, I think it, it wasn't my first trip in the Arctic. So I think my first solo trip, actually, it, it really was about sort of, can I do this? Right? Can I do this without going nuts? Can I do this without hating it? Can I do this without, you know, rocking back and forth in the tent, feeling all sorry and lonely for my, you know, feeling all lonely and sorry for myself. So I think that had been answered. That's been answered a long time ago. I think the idea of going to push yourself and sort of seeing, uh, it's just a valid, it's a valid thing to, to try and push yourself and see how far you can go 
and how long you can endure. And that's its own um, that's its own reward. Uh, and I mean, honestly, the other part of it is I um, it's that whole definition of introvert versus extrovert. So uh, some people think of an introvert as somebody who can't talk to anybody. Somebody sort of sits and rocks back and forth in the corner by themselves at a party. Um, okay, so now. That's not really the, the definition of introvert that I find particularly useful. Uh, the definition of introvert that I like is an introvert is somebody who's capable of interacting with people, but when they really need to recharge, when they need to, when they're feeling down or when, they, when they're <clears throat> tired, they want to go and spend time by themselves. They want to read a book. They want to I don't know, watch a movie by themselves. They want to go on what's been called a master date. Right, where you go out for dinner by yourself. Uh, an extrovert, on the other hand, when they're feeling down, when they're feeling lonely, they want to call up three friends, they want to go and hit the pub, or as a girl, they want to go dancing with all their friends, or they just want to surround themselves with extra people. And so it's, it's not a question of whether they can function in society, it's a question of what they do to recharge batteries when the batteries are down. And I think by that definition, I'm a pretty, uh, pretty strong introvert because I really do like spending time. I, I, I have a reasonably large family. I spend lots of time with people. I'm a firefighter. That's always a, a team thing. And that's a lot of fun. But in addition to that, I also definitely need my downtime, my alone time, my nobody talking to me time. And uh, so maybe, maybe that's that, that um, 50 days in the bush last summer it's just yeah, i spent a long time talking to people and i needed uh some time by myself well definitely this is the thing especially when you build up this sort of internet following you get all these guys from the uk these annoying people trying to get you on their podcast and all that kind of stuff and you think oh just leave me alone i want to just <laughs> no, no 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 i i i'm the batteries have been charged for uh for a while now and um I, i'm i wouldn't uh I wouldn't be talking on podcasts if I didn't enjoy it at some level. Well, if I, if I didn't enjoy it, full stop. <laughs> on some level, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? I, I guess um, I'm on YouTube. Got a, a few videos on YouTube there. Just a couple. Uh, if you search, yeah, just a few. I think um, uh, so. I'm on Instagram. You know, at Stefan underscore or Stefan underscore casting. Uh, I'm on um, Facebook, the Grapple Arts page there. Uh, also, the website, really grapplearts.com. That's that's the uh, the repository for the thousands of articles I've written about jujitsu and the thousands of videos I've produced uh, about jujitsu. And uh, and not only jujitsu. I mean, I, I uh, wandered out into you know martial arts or sort of the mental aspect of training, uh, conditioning. Uh, I think there's a big long, if you want the dispatches from the field, the, uh, cause on that, on that canoe trip that we were talking about my one indulge, I didn't bring a fishing rod. I didn't bring any books. It, like weight was really constrained because it's, you know, 50 days worth of gear in a reasonably small boat is, is a lot of stuff. So my one indulgence was I brought a small satellite dish and I was uploading uh, 
Instagram pictures and little sort of daily reports. Those are all kind of summarized, including some fairly poor grammar at grapplearts.com slash solo. So yeah, if people are interested in that, that might be a, a fun place to start given what we were talking about. That'll be in the description. Today's episode is brought to you by Mauler MMA. Use code FCMMA20 at checkout for 20% off on all products on maulermma.com.